All right, my name is Alicia Hall. Um, I'm one of the 20, I'm gonna come over here. I'm one of the 2016 New Voices Scholars. All right, so I was asked to come and present um, or introduce the person who will be doing this breakout session under the skin. Um, and so when I first, they first told me I had to do it, I looked in the book and I'm like, I'm not reading word for word from the book. Cause I remember being in college and people doing presentations, reading for word for word, and it made me feel homicidal. <laughs> so I'm, I stalked our presenter on Twitter and came up with a few reasons why I think we are cosmically connected and it was part of the, okay, why they chose me to introduce her, okay. <laughs> So the first thing is, when I looked on her Twitter page, she had a gif from Hocus Pocus, the movie with Bette Midler. That's my movie. I watch it, whether it's Halloween or not. That's number one. Um, number two, she had a picture of a sandwich with smoked salmon. I like smoked salmon, but not on sandwiches and sushi, but that's the connection. And then the last point is that she um, retweeted um, somebody else's tweet and it said, it's time to admit that racism and sexism aren't beside the point. They are precisely the point to current politics. So she said it and I was like, I don't need to say nothing else. I agree, so yep. <laughs> so here is Eleanor McDowell with Under the Skin. Can everyone hear me all right? Um, so rather than kind of blathering on and trying to describe what I'm going to be getting at today, I want to start by playing you a piece of audio that I hope just illustrates it beautifully. So I'm not going to tell you too much about the piece. It may be something that you've heard before, but I want to tell you how I heard it the first time, which was uh, at an event run by a group called In the Dark in London. I don't know if you guys know about them. Oh, they run radio listening events where people kind of gather together and listen to radio in a shared space. And this particular one was on a kind of very, very hot summer's evening, about as hot as the UK gets, and not that hot, but in a, uh, a kind of sweaty little greenhouse. And there were 15 radio producers sitting in there, kind of very deeply socially awkward British radio producers, sitting, trying not to touch bodies with anyone and being very, very aware and respectful of everyone's personal space. So I'm going to play you the thing that we listened to there and then talk about uh, what it does to you when you're aware of your body. The purpose of the bathroom is to provide a private space for the fulfillment of bodily functions in public places. Masturbating is simply one of those functions that sometimes need to be performed over the course of one's day. I was 14 the first time I jerked off in a public bathroom. It was the same stall I cried my first heartbroken teenage tears in. I was genuinely terrified when someone came in. I wasn't particularly horny, 
but I was determined to prove it could be done and to take pleasure in my secret knowledge that I had done it. This was the birth of a firmly entrenched personal tradition. Public bathrooms I've jerked since. The public library, both university libraries, McGill and Concordia, school bathrooms, work bathrooms, shopping mall bathrooms, though I try my best not to spend any time in shopping malls. The bathroom stall of a bar while a really awesome band was playing. The Greyhound bus bathroom, it's kind of smelly. Bathrooms at friends' houses, and my personal favorite, the cafe bathroom. Being that I spend as much time in cafes as I do at home, I'd say about 50% of my orgasms are had in the cafe potty romp. There are several factors that make this particular arrangement satisfying. First, coffee makes me really, really horny. Espresso in particular. Suddenly my nipples are pulsing, my legs are crossed, and my thighs are squeezing. Kid, we've got to get to a tree. This calls for some big scratch. And I feel like inadvertently rubbing myself up against table corners. Right or chairs. Yeah. That's delicious. Oh. Oh. Focus can be an issue. Right, so I hope we've got things kicked off with the right tone as we mean to continue. Um, that piece comes from, I'm sure lots of people in this room will be familiar with the wonderful uh, women who are putting together. That's uh, Caitlin Prest's voice that you heard from a time uh, the podcast was called Audio Smut, uh, now called The Heart, which lots of you will know. And the thing that I love about this piece, that whenever you get someone to listen to it, whenever you play it to someone, it always automatically elicits a physical response whether or not that's someone feeling desire, feeling turned on by what I can just say spectacular thwacking foley. I can't think of a better word for that, but it's gorgeous. Or, you know, they might feel kind of uncomfortable or feel some kind of physical shame, but you're kind of, you're provoking something and you're asking the listener to engage with the documentary in such a different way. Because I feel this is, so this is, the premise for today, essentially. In audio, I feel when we start to make a documentary, we tend to have two things in mind. We tend to be thinking about the cerebral, so kind of what information are we going to learn? What ideas are at play here? You know, how are we kind of stimulating a listener's brain with what we're doing? And we think about the emotional and the heart and, you know, sort of getting empathy with your characters, thinking about making a listener perhaps cry, have a kind of driveway moment. But I think there's a sort of third space that we don't talk, to, talk about too often, which is the physical. And that's what I would love to kind of hear more audio doing. I would love to hear audio like this that can't help but kind of stimulate a physical response to it. Because if you listen to the work of the heart, for example, it's not all thwacking Foley. Um, you know, there's really, really interesting things that they're doing that are engaging with the listener's body all the time. So you have, you know, you can have a voice that's very, very close in on the mic and it might be kind of whispering to you and that's going to give you a certain response. You hear kind of heartbeats and breath and it all 
you're not, you're not just being told about desire, you're not just being told about intimacy, but you're actually feeling it and inhabiting it. And I think that's a really, really powerful tool for a listener. So now, for something completely different, I'd like to tell you the second thing that made me think about kind of bodies in space. And it's also something that will kind of hopefully get your heart racing, but in a slightly different way. Uh, this comes from a wonderful show called Unfictional, that goes out on KCRW, I'm sure lots of you know, uh, produced by Bob Carlson. And um, we're going to join this story uh, a little bit of the way in. It's, uh, you'll hear three men talking. They're all probably in their kind of 40s or 50s, but they're reminiscing about their reckless youth. They've been at a motocross ra race all day. They've been drinking quite a lot. Uh, I think they've taken some drugs as well. And they're now in a kind of traffic jam queue trying to come out of that. And they're making some really bad decisions uh, with their driving. So we're going to join them yeah, around about the time that they make a really bad decision. And finally, they just put their foot on the gas. And there's this moment where we are like side by side at reasonably dangerous speed. And I was laughing and everything. And then I suddenly looked and there was a white post in front of me. And I went, ah, so I pulled in so not to crash into the white post. And so we were forced to cut across the front of the 1600. And just by an error of judgment, we clipped him. A very soft side swipe, but he makes contact with their car anyway. You've hit a car, you've hit a car. They slam on the brakes, we keep going. They're unbelievably incensed by now, as you can imagine. And I thought, oh no, no, I suddenly realised that I was over the limit with drink and everything, and I didn't think I'd cause that much kind of damage. It was only just a bit of a tap. <laughs> Maybe a couple of hundred dollars. And so I tried to get away from him and pulled back into the traffic and then clipped another car. And then the two in the car going, you have to stop, you have to stop. Stop it, stop it. And I'm going, no, no, we'll just get up here and then they'll never catch us. Now it all gets a little bit Mad Max Road Warrior. They pull in front of us and slam on the brakes. They stopped their car sideways. Forcing us to slam on the brakes. They all jump out of the car, the doors fly open. Out of these two cars came about eight people, or maybe in my mind these days it seemed like 28 people. Jumped out of the cars with a few bats or pieces of wood and at least a piece of chain. And then I started thinking, this is getting starting to get a bit serious. And I was pretty petrified, but it was like I was like I was in some sort of movie, like in some sort of action movie. And so Andy decided, well, this is very good. And he shoved the car into reverse. It's like a stunt driving manoeuvre. It was incredible. <laughs> Dropped it into reverse at full speed, reversed around the car that was behind us. So all the cars behind us coming towards us have to peel off really quickly left and right. Ended up about maybe 100 to 150 metres down the road from these fellows chasing us on foot now. We stopped, we took a look at the situation. And I just remember this guy swinging this big, thick motorcycle chain. And we went for it, full speed at them. As we drive past him, he's like swinging it like a lasso and smashes it into my side passenger window.
so we had glass all over us. It wasn't going to be till a couple of hours later till all of this died down that I discovered I had all these cuts and abrasions in my groin because all the glass had gone into my underpants. But at the time, I didn't know this had happened. For three young kids who had been drinking and was quite scared after having hit them, we went into panic mode, all of us, including the driver. Andrew Gilbert was the driver. <laughs> well, just let me make that clear. I wasn't driving the car. <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. And that, I mean, he's kind of mentioning that in the piece, but talking about action movie and Mad Max, and for me, listening to that, for one, the first time I've ever heard an effectively executed car chase on the radio that you really, really kind of get caught up in. But it's the way it's being edited feels like it has the kind of dynamism of an action movie. You can hear how the voices are kind of chopping and sort of moving the story along so kind of dynamically and building a rhythm. And equally, you can kind of feel that in the music, the way the music is being used. When you kind of switch to a different track, it's like changing a camera angle and suddenly you're kind of seeing his foot on the gas or you're seeing the kind of chain swing through and smash the window and shower his uh, underpants with glass. Um, and, yeah, the first time I heard that, I was so kind of exhilarated about it in the way that I would have been kind of watching a film. And I'm sort of interested both in the piece that I started with and, and with this one that I'm showing, that how the, their kind of closest analogue almost is cinema rather than audio. They're both doing things and kind of inhabiting spaces that I don't think we get into that often. We don't often hear audio that isn't talking about the erotic but is in and of itself erotic. We don't often hear things that are sort of not just talking about action, but have a kind of dynamism, have an action and kind of engage the body on their own terms. And when I was thinking about this idea, I came across a term that I really love from the uh, writer Linda Williams. She's talking about cinema and she discusses the idea of body genre in cinema. And what she feels body genre is, are there films that are first and foremost they're going to elicit a physical response from the viewer so she talks about horror which is going to make you kind of scream or jump or wet your pants she's talking about pornography that's going to make you wet your pants in a different way and um, she's talking about melodrama that might make you cry and you know in her critique of this she's saying these are often areas which are sort of dismissed as being slightly lowbrow as having slightly less value particularly you know, because they're engaging the body, as if the body is somehow entirely separate from our brains, entirely separate from our kind of emotional world, rather than a tool through which to access those things. So I think I'm on her side that I feel with body genre, and I would like to hear body genre more in audio, you know, why don't we use that provocation for the body, that kind of physical response as a way to open up ideas, as a way to help you kind of empathise with someone's emotional world. Um, so I'm going to play you something uh, from my own work now to kind of try and show how I'm attempting to incorporate these ideas. It comes from a documentary that I made called A Dancer Dies Twice for the BBC, which is all about ballet dancers' last dances. Um, and... I wanted the experience of listening to this to be something that feels very physical. The whole piece is about kind of that link between identity and physicality and a sense of what happens as our body starts to change. You know, what happens the first time your body breaks and doesn't get better and you're kind of engaging with that separation of your internal self and its representation outside. Um, but the 
piece I'm going to play you uh, is a section that's talking about an idea that every single dancer talked about when I asked them kind of what they missed, what they struggled with having quit dance. And they said the thing about dancing is you have these incredible adrenaline highs. Their lives are kind of punctuated by moments of ecstatic joy where they have such a kind of physical high that they can quite literally dance until their toenails fall off and their shoes fill with blood. And what they said was that's the kind of pain that you have when you finish, that you no longer have these highs and lows. You just have kind of stability and quiet and silence. So I'm going to play you the bit of the documentary that's supposed to be about that idea. Um, oh, and it's going to start, you're going to hear the voice of Isabel Mortimer, who is a therapist who particularly works with dancers who are transitioning um, out of their careers. There's a sort of grieving in the muscle memory you're used to a rhythm of building up to a show, doing shows and then having a period of downtime perhaps and then building up again. And I found that shockingly difficult not to have that experience, that high, that... Adrenaline. Your heart would be beating a bit faster. Thudding in your chest. You feel like nothing can stop you. Like you own everything. It's really a wild feeling. All right, let's have you one, two, three. Let's have you three. Come here. Lots of floor pressure with the grand back one going through the tondu, and the movement's going to go where? Up. Now travel, 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 travel. Don't stop traveling, especially at the end. And beat, and beat. More energy, more dynamic. Beat, beat, beat. That's a yes. The stage is yours and the audience is yours and it's your job to take them somewhere and I think you feel invincible. You kind of feel like you could just leap through a wall. <laughs> and up. It's like going to heaven. And go single, double, triple, a little bit bigger here. Strength from the heel, the inner thigh, and then we're going to go up. Like rush as you're travelling across the studio is just such a great feeling. Fly, 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 and stay, stay. Yes, yes. That. No, you've got somewhere to go. Pushing this and this to the side. You should be eight. And then you're going to go up. It's in Swan Lake where you've got all the swans standing down the side. They start out two and they have a very aerobic workout just before they have to stand still for the best part of. I can't even remember how many minutes it is. When I used to do that, it was excruciating, and you could hear them, you know, the sort of <laughs> the, the, the panting, and it gradually quietens down, and then you could hear the occasional sort of wincing, you know, where someone's got cramp but can't do anything about it. What's wrong, Phoebe? Okay, but that's ballet, you know. Just you have to get on with it. God, that took forever to do that, didn't it? Okay, who's next? Hey, you're in slow motion, darling. I think it was in Bayadere, La Bayadere. I lost both big toenails, but didn't realise until the end of the performance. People's feet are disgusting. I used to have toenails fall off. And I found them floating in the bottom of my white shoes. <laughs> so I need, like, another skin to, like, don't feel the pain. Otherwise, it's really painful. <laughs> Yeah, I thought, how is that possible to lose both big toenails and not to realise? It's the third one, I changed it three times. <laughs> I guess that just goes to show the, what adrenaline and being in the moment can do to you. Can I just get it in? 
stomach is the arms. Oh, that's how you should do it. Oh, gotta squeeze your glutes, squeeze your glutes, squeeze your glutes, squeeze your glutes. Arms, inner, smaller. Oh, oh, oh. Good. Okay, it can be higher than that. <laughs> Try as high as you can without the kick. Yes. Yes. It doesn't matter that it's not 90 degrees at this point. And think of reaching up to the ceiling. Up to the ceiling. Yeah, your, your fin went a bit skew-whiffed there, darling. You've got to go straight up. And straight up, straight up, yes. Yes! Pure Lift the legs up. Much better, but I want more. Lift the hips up. And up. More smile. Feet, feet. Feet, feet. Up, 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 up. Feet. I was doing a ballet and I was really tired and we'd been touring a lot and travelling a lot and I did a solo turned around literally just to walk down stage my knee just twisted and gave way and I literally just felt it rip <laughs> um, and heard it actually Thank you. That was the most gratifying, disgusted noise that I, could. <laughs> I should. Um... All right. Thanks. So hopefully, when you're listening to that, you're starting to get. You're not just being kind of told that this is about adrenaline. You're starting to feel. You know, when they're shouting, kind of up, 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 and it's pushing further and further that you're kind of getting into that space physically a little bit more. And then what happens next in the documentary is your knee breaks and it goes into kind of silence and stillness and you hear these voices on their own and they're kind of looking for... Um, oh, sorry, did you have a...? Yeah. How did you get that noise? Oh, um, well, I will come to that, actually. Sorry. It's uh, disgusting. Um, but, uh, yeah, so then you kind of come to this place where you're inhabiting that emptiness. And I... I would argue by kind of pushing the body that someone is going to empathise much more with what a dancer is going through in that space. So um, in terms of what you're hearing in that montage, there are kind of... I was trying to mic it almost in terms of thinking about cinematic shots, so thinking about kind of close-ups where you've got, you know, uh, there was a dancer on points and I was kind of recording her breath with a directional mic, or you can hear the kind of tapping of the feet, or you can hear the knee... Um, and also sort of things that are giving you a much wider perspective of it. So there's uh, radio mics on ballet teachers who are kind of giving you the instructions and giving you a sense of the kind of beauty of what you're looking at, hopefully. But it's that idea of kind of using the microphone as a camera, almost, and then kind of layering it up to try and give yourself the depth of uh, film, hopefully. But um, yes, so the last noise that you hear, depressingly, is the noise that my own knee makes when I walk upstairs. Um... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it, she, she's not well. But, um, and, and I was very gratified to hear that note because I'm very interested by this idea of kind of disgust on the radio and the impact that the sound of the body can have on us. Because you can, you know, when we're going to make a documentary, we can be using the body as an instrument as much as we are kind of doing anything else. So, you know, you hear drumming feet in that, and that's kind of moving into the rhythm that's happening in the beats of the music. Um, or alternatively, you can be using the body as an instrument in a much more abstract way. There was a really interesting uh, 
feature that I saw, a behind-the-scenes sound design feature for Lars von Trier's Antichrist, where um, the sound designer was talking about trying to find noises that would quietly unsettle people. And what he did was he took, um, don't try this at home, but he took a kind of an expensive mic and pulled it down his own throat and recorded the sound inside. So you can hear kind of blood rushing and you can hear the kind of liquid and a sense of unease. And when you're watching Antichrist, this sound really, really low in the mix is just settling underneath and kind of giving you a feeling of discomfort. Because I think these intimate sounds of the body have such a potent effect on us because that kind of closeness is really heightening you know when we think of the times when we've heard someone whisper in our ear when we think of the times where we've pressed our head to someone's chest and heard their heartbeat or we've kind of felt their breath on our face you know these are points where we've either been in moments of kind of intense desire and closeness and intimacy and vulnerability or it may be points where we're incredibly frightened And it's going to kind of have a sense memory and it's going to have a potency. And I think it's it's quite an interesting thing to play with. So I suppose what I'm advocating is when we're going out to capture sounds for a documentary we're making, are we thinking enough about capturing the sounds of the body? Are we thinking enough, you know, beyond the idea of recording someone talking, sort of telling you a story, recording the sound of the room with the space? You know, what more can we do to capture, you know, decrepit knees and tears and breath and bodies. Um, So the next thing I want to do is talk a little bit about perhaps why we've not been hearing the body uh, on the radio as much as we might. Um, And this, for me, all comes down to notions of bad taste. So, you know, when I talked about the body genre idea earlier and, um, and what Linda Williams is saying is, you know, these things are seen as being lowbrow, particularly because it is affecting the body. It's seen as being kind of slightly prurient or, or in bad taste. So I, I want to do a, a comparative study and uh, play you a couple of things just to kind of illustrate this idea. But I feel in radio, perhaps why, you know, for those of us who've kind of trained in radio rather than in podcasting, we've been thinking about working for a medium where you're not necessarily trying to get people to tune in. A lot of the time, you know, people have a very close relationship with their NPR station or they have a very close relationship with the BBC and they're turning it on first thing in the morning and they're listening to it in a linear way. So I think a lot of the time what you're doing in audio is you're being wary of getting people to turn off. So I think that's where the body comes in. That's where taste comes in. That's where you have notions of you don't want to make things that are really, really disgusting to listen to because lots of people are going to turn them off, potentially. So this is sort of something that we're wrestling in that, you know, in the podcasting space feels like, actually, we've got a kind of new possibility because that is an area where you're encouraging people to tune in and maybe they'll be kind of more game for going with something like that. Um, So, but I do feel on the radio there's lots of space for the body. So I'm going to play you something that comes from a radio series and podcast that I make called Shortcuts on the BBC, which is, thank you, one person, one fan. Um, (laughs) Hey! Oh, okay, much too much, much too much. Um, But yeah, this... uh, was uh, f- we make lots of adventurous short documentaries and work with new producers around the world. And this was a producer that was the first ever audio piece that she had made. Uh, her name was Rebecca Lloyd Evans, and she was normally a filmmaker. And she wanted to make a piece about a woman who reads hardcore pornography to the elderly blind. 
and it is it sounds true, but it's actually a very kind of charming story about um, friendship and sexuality as we age and community, and it's delightful. So I'm going to play you that, and then I'm going to tell you about the ridiculous conversation I had with the BBC when I sent it to them. Um, hang on. First, I was told that I should um, tone them down a bit and, you know, say vagina instead of pussy. And I was having lunch one day with a very old friend of mine, in every sense of the word, a 96-year-old, still-practicing sex therapist. And I was asking her about it, and to this day, I remember her saying to me, don't infantilise them, they're grown-ups. Madeline, don't give up on these people. Don't make them as if they had, had no power anymore or no uh, acceptance of something that you might think is not appropriate. They don't draw that line. They're all age groups, right, the people who come to see you? Young and old? One couple in the 70s, they, 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 they're the worst couple as far as getting along with each other. I don't know if I could make a dent in that after 35 years, but the newest one is a young girl of about 27. Does a 27-year-old not think, oh, do I really want to see a therapist who's 100 years old? I don't know whether she knows that I'm 100, but she knows that I'm... Uh, a little older than she is. A lot older. Right. <laughs> All of her senses were alive. Her purrs excite me further, so I become more determined to make her hips rise from the velvet. Like me, she sees her resistance to orgasm as an exercise in futility. I absolutely have no inhibitions whatsoever about reading to these people, but the minute somebody comes in who um, isn't blind, I get terribly embarrassed and very self-conscious. So this is a very, a very sort of private group that we have. One time it was a little more OTT than usual, and this story required a particularly explosive orgasm, so I had a particularly explosive, <laughs> but rather loud, I guess, and a nurse came rushing in from next door and said, oh, what happened here? Was somebody hurt? And we all burst out laughing as I said, no, I was just having another orgasm. Climaxing right now, so your, your timing's in You've just, you just got grind in time for the hot bits. We've just been working up to it. She sucks her breath in through her teeth and low guttural moans escape her throat. <laughs> 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 Nothing to be offended by there, right? Delightful classical music, classy. Not got a problem with it. But um, we sent it. So, one of the awkward things about shortcuts is that we sort of straddle these two broadcast spaces. We are both a podcast that needs to work in the podcast space, and we are a broadcast that goes out at the most conservative time on the day. Uh, on BBC Radio 4, which is called the school run slot. So there's the idea that halfway through our programme, 15 minutes in, children will be in the car with the adult who's listening to this. And so often we put all the kind of smut at the beginning of the programme. But um, we were absolutely damned this time because it was half term. So the idea was children were everywhere and they'd be hearing it and being deeply disturbed. And I remember having this kind of slightly odd and interesting conversation with someone about the BBC who was asking us to uh, cut orgasm noises from it. And I was sort of trading these off against a line that I was particularly attached to that comes later on where uh, an 80-something-year-old woman 
describes wanting to juice herself up before she comes to the book, and I wasn't going to let that go. So I kind of took out a number of uh, orgasms in order to make that work. But I was sort of very curious about, um, you know, what we're kind of protecting people from in that, because it feels... Uh, oh, you got it. <laughs> um, but it, it sort of feels like, I mean... The line that the uh, 90-something-year-old sex therapist says, I think, is something that we should all get tattooed on our arms, that is, uh, don't infantilize them, they're grown-ups. And you feel, you know, sex and death and fear and all these things that we're kind of slightly uneasy about, all these things that we're slightly uneasy about, kind of hearing the body in that space, you know, it's, it's all part of our human experience and what we're trying to get at. And perhaps maybe we're slightly overly cautious. So in order to prove that you can... Uh, broadcast delightful smart on the radio i'm uh, going to give you an example of something that went out on a national tim you're saying it this was on dr national broadcaster in denmark in the uh, sunday afternoon the lord's day so uh yeah um so with that in mind um in case your danish isn't up to speed i've subtitled it so if you look over here og tag langfinger og ringfinger og bøj op efter. Der hvor, hvor fingerspidserne de er, når man stikker begge fingre op i skeden, så er det lige der, G-punktet befinder sig. Ved at påvirke, ved at, at køre fingrene frem og tilbage, påvirker man jo så G-punktet, hvor man sådan forholdsvis hurtigt kan se, hvordan hun reagerer på det. Når hun så når op og ligesom giver udtryk for, at nu det her det er godt, og hun kan virkelig mærke det. Så kan man så påvirke igen på en anden måde ved at lade armen køre op og ned. Men stadigvæk med fingerspidserne. Med fuld påvirkning på g-punktet. Den bevægelse, jeg laver med hånden, det er, det er en bevægelse, som går fantastisk hurtigt. Forestil dig, hvis du klapper i hænderne og... og, og Så hurtigt går det, det går endda hurtigere. Men i og med at armen kører op og ned, så skaber du nogle bevægelser på g-punktet, som, som sådan gør, at øh, ja, hun for det første så får en, en orgasme ud af det, men, men en bivirkning af det gør også, at den ligesom åbner for nogle sluser, som, som gør, at hun så sprøjter. Og, og det væske, det, det diskuterer man jo så stadigvæk øh, på, på høj plan, hvor det kommer fra. Men øh, nu er jeg jo ikke nogen altid en glimsten, så jeg ved ikke ret meget om, om, om anatomien, hvad, hvad der foregår der. Ikke andet end, at øh, jeg kan se fakta. Og, og fakta er, at, øh, at pigen får den skønneste orgasme ud af det her.
So you get the point. <laughs> but yeah, there was... Uh, so, the producer of that, Tim Hinman, over here. Um, and Tim was telling me, a proud moment, <laughs> that there was, there was one listener letter about, of this, of course, because it was absolutely shocking. And the listener letter uh, was someone asking what the music he was using, and it was. So, can we please all move to Denmark? <laughs> um, but yeah, and so... Hopefully, rounding this up, um, I should say this isn't that, you know, all our audio should be a provocation. This isn't about kind of being sensationalist in what you're doing, but just to sort of like a little argument to be made for how effective using the body uh, in terms of the radio you're making can be, to be thinking about stimulating a listener's body, to be thinking about kind of provoking them in a way that makes them inhabit an idea, makes them feel an idea, rather than just telling them about it. So I'm going to end on one last piece that I really um, adore that isn't about sex or car crashes or dancing or anything. Um, oh, no, it is about dancing, tell a lie. Um, and this I really love because it's, it's sort of so direct in trying to manipulate you. It's so direct in trying to make you have an experience. And it comes uh, from a newspaper called The Guardian, their audio material. It's in collaboration with a space called Fuel. And uh, the voice you're going to hear is a choreographer called Hofesh Schechter. And um, it comes from a series where the idea was there were all these miniature little podcasts that you were supposed to listen to at a certain time of day in a certain space, kind of really shaping what your environment was going to be. So this one is supposed to be listened to uh, late at night on your own in a darkened room. So we're going to have to be a bit imaginative about it. You might want to close your eyes. Um, and I will play it for you. Now. But what I find so interesting is the very, very direct address of the voice. And feel the floor underneath you. Feel how soft the floor can be. How soft you can be with the floor. Your body is empty. There is a sensation of euphoria taking over. Something optimistic for no reason. Something light. You can sense the air around your skin around your body, the space, you can feel the lightness of your neck, of your spine, don't think about me, think about your body, feel your body from the inside, you are inside your body. to connect even more to the rattly feeling of the plastic bag. It's a little bit more shaky, it's a little bit more tumbling, but there is more of a sense of a rattle, of something that is breaking very softly, that is tumbling.
Everything starts to tumble. Your body is tumbling. There is a sense that you are standing on a little boat and the boat is being moved by the waves. So you are standing on an unsolid ground and you just tumble from the back sideways. There is a sense of tumbling. Also, your arms are tumbling, your head, your neck, your spine, your pelvis, your knees, your ankles, your feet. And your body is full with material, something like wet sand. And this wet sand is tumbling inside your body from one corner of the body to another, from one part of the body to another. And from the tumbling feeling starts a kind of like a jumpy feeling, something a little bit hoppy. You are hopping, you feel like there is like a little fire starting to burn in the middle of your stomach. And it's like waves are starting to take over your body. These waves are filled with urge, with need, with something like hunger, with a drive, something we don't entirely understand and don't entirely control, but we let it happen all the same. And it starts to take over your body from time to time. It sort of creates a wave of movement, like a wind of movement is going through you. The movement is faster, it's more intense, it's surprising, and it just takes over every two, three, four seconds. You don't control it, you just... More and more is bubbling inside you. There is this urge. You have surprising attacks of fast, quick movement. Something that comes from somewhere that you don't know and you don't care as well. It's a sort of anger. It's a sort of crave. It's a sort of... Optimism is a sort of power, energy, life, call it whatever you want, but you have this sense of Now you just go with it, just go with it, go, 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 Not entirely convinced by Hofer Schechter's taste in music there, but um, yeah, hopefully you can kind of feel the excitement of that. So that's, yeah, that's my talk. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions? Um, 
Well, I think oftentimes for me when I'm making a documentary, music will be one of the first things that I'll think about. So that piece of music, I was thinking about it really early on. It's sort of not something that they ever would have been dancing to. It's Rodrigo y Gabriela, and it's something that um, actually Kathy Fitzgerald introduced me to the first time, and it was sort of shared joy about kind of delight and exuberance and adrenaline. So it was sort of in my head. But I think often music will help open up for me, the way something will work, but I have no idea where that comes from or why. I think it's, um, yeah, just thinking about it as a character, really, and what story is being told in that musical line as much as what's being told in the voice. And it can be kind of operating in counterpoint or offering a different story rather than literally representing the world that they're in. Sure. Well, I think, I mean, experimenting with microphones, recording all your own injuries, I would heartily recommend as a way to make disgusting noises. Uh, and kind of playing around with that um, is a good place. There's a, a space called Free Sound, um, which can be a wonderful way of accessing very kind of natural sounding sound effects, because often if you're buying them from CDs, they for some reason always sound completely inhuman and like no one has ever had that experience before. Um, yeah, but I think just kind of playing around and making natural things or being alert in the scene, going out there with the intention of recording bodies, with the intention of kind of recording things that might give you a physical reaction and not just the voices of people we're talking to. Was there... Oh, uh, do you need a microphone or... <laughs> Thanks. Um... So uh, my question was just if you, if you ever listen to the radio and hear a piece that you think ought to be bodily but is not, and if you've had success working on shortcuts, um, changing the, the feeling of a piece to make it much more physical from being something that is more disembodied. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, you have that feeling all the time. It often feels something that's kind of really eerily absent on the radio a lot of the time, the kind of physical space in the body, and we kind of take these disembodied voices, and that can be a kind of delightful thing to have this playful space of ideas, but actually grounding it in the physical can be quite interesting. I'm trying to think of anything. We've had kind of dancing and, and you know, gentle sex in shortcuts, but... Um, nothing sort of too physical I think often adding that kind of musical dimension like the way Bob Carson does so beautifully in Road Warriors can give this kind of enthusiasm and exuberance and a sort of a feeling of dynamism that's going to affect the body and so that's a very easy tool to do in terms of how you're scoring things have you, have you taken a traditional piece of radio that doesn't have that type of sound design and added the sound design that's that's not something that I've done to someone else's work because I think in shortcuts a lot of the time when we're working with producers we're kind of respecting you know we'll, we'll come to them because we love the way that they tell a story and so I won't be kind of adding loads of um, orgasm noises subtly <laughs> underneath but maybe I'll try it maybe it'll be secret to our success <laughs> um, any other questions oh there's one just up here Um, I agree. This is really awesome. Thanks for doing it. Um, I'm curious when you about the source that you use because I'm thinking about um, like the people that you're recording because what you're talking about is really intimate. And then I'm thinking about 
when I interview people, it's already, you know, kind of this dance of invading your space and this, to try this, I'm just trying to think about practical ways of miking without it being contrived mm -hmm. and how you kind of have a, um, have to kind of really be comfortable invading their space, but still make them feel like, you know, you, you can pull this off. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be a, a sort of dance between the subject. And I think any time that you're doing something like this, if you're representing people's kind of bodies, it has to be done meaningfully in a way that they would feel kind of comfortable with how they're being represented. In terms of kind of sweet-talking people into letting you uh, record all their kind of intimacies. I mean, um, I think there are different things that I tried in this. I know at the manual cinema um, event, there was a wonderful group of Canadians who were talking about Schwartzing. And so in the um, ballet dancer doc, I used the microphone technique called the full Schwartz, which is an interview technique, sorry, where you're getting someone to kind of lie down in a darkened room with their eyes closed in a way that often helps people kind of talk much more visually and kind of can help represent the physical dimension. So that's possibly a way of thinking if you can get a, an interviewee to lie down or you could do the half Schwartz where you just get them to sit down and close their eyes, which is maybe slightly easier to promote, like get people to do straight off the bat. Um, but yeah, I think it's just slowly building up a relationship with them. I mean, I know I, I did a documentary a few years ago about roller derby, uh, which had to be very kind of physical. I wanted to represent the sort of joyful violence in it, and um, with that, that was sweet-talking uh, Derby girls into having microphones strapped to their kind of helmet and helping me to do kind of foley recordings and screeching skates and things like that. Um, but yeah, charm, I think, is uh, <laughs> hopefully the best tool for opening them up. Is there anything else? Should we have it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, this might be a let me Google it for you question. But <laughs> Um, is it, uh, what's the rules of copyright for using music like Rodrigo y Gabriela, for example, on that piece? Because, or are there also differences in countries? Oh, sorry, copyright? I can't see where you're... Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, in the BBC, uh, there's a blanket license agreement with uh, what's called the Performing Rights Society. So uh, we're allowed to use any music that's been commercially released as long as we report it, and then a payment is made to the musicians involved in that. But that obviously becomes much more complex if you're working in a podcasting space and there's no agreement like that. So you'd need to think about getting specially commissioned music. Although I think there are kind of good things like the Free Music Archive and places where people can access a lot of really interesting stuff. I think there was just a question at the front here. Or? Oh. So, so you were talking, your, your, your genre is documentary, and I, I just want to hear from you more about what responsibility you f uh, feel to, uh, what fidelity to truth is what I'm wondering about with sounds. You know, you're talking about you recorded your own knee yeah. you, and you put it on the dancer. Absolutely. How, how important and how, how do you make those decisions about when it's okay and when it's not okay? And is it just about what sounds fake to the listener or not? Or is there some, something deeper that you want to be true? I think, well, I think you're always trying to kind of represent a truth, particularly when you're kind of constructing a situation like that. So it's not just about it kind of sounding real, although I would, you know, agree with that. I think it does need to sound realistic but I mean maybe because I feel maybe that's a question where possibly we would fall on different sides about what kind of um, 
Because I think you're in a kind of cerebral, you're in a, a space that's not a literal space. And you're not saying kind of, I went and I recorded this woman when she fell down and this is the noise that it made. And I'm not trying to represent it like that. You're representing it as a kind of musical fantasy where they're not all there dancing and kind of to flamenco and talking to each other. It's kind of just by the way in which it's being delivered, I think you're saying to a listener, there are lots of different sounds and feelings at play that are kind of coming in here. So it's illustrating something at a point that you need to hear it, but clearly with no expectation that you're saying, I was there and I tripped her on the stage and then recorded. Um, I think, oh, well, that's quite a big question. <laughs> in general. Oh, right, sorry. He just asked me, uh, are there things that I wouldn't do? But, um, yeah, I, I think, obviously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to kind of misrepresent anything. Like I say, I think we're always trying to kind of best represent an idea, best communicate a character, and you're not trying to stitch anything up. The whole game is to bring the listener closer, always, and immerse them in a world. And, um, yeah, so I hope... You know, I would never do anything kind of malicious or to stitch anyone up or kind of wildly. I would never try and present something as being a real sound that's coming from a certain space that was recorded at a time if it wasn't, for example. There's lots of things I wouldn't do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hi. Um, yeah, sorry. I think, like, before I got into podcasting, the first audio thing that I heard that was cool was this thing called, like, the virtual haircut when I was, like, 13. Oh, was that, like, an ASMR thing? I don't know. It was, oh. like, this barber being, like, I am the barber. And, like, it was, like, and then he'd whisper in your ear at the end, and then you'd, you'd jump. Yeah. So, like, obviously things that you're listening to are different depending on if you're playing them on big speakers or you're listening to them in headphones. Mm. Are there things that you designed specifically with, like, headphone listening in mind or like kind of playing with stereo sound and how it's going to be listened to or are oh, there absolutely. pieces that you've listened to and you're like you should check this out because this is using <laughs> this kind of interactive spatial sound oh, really well definitely i think i mean i'm not doing anything kind of fancy with binaural particularly but we're always thinking about the stereo field you're always thinking about the headphones listeners you know it's the way that so many people are digesting the things that we make. And so they should be inhabiting a really rich, beautiful sound world when they're listening like that. But equally, you have that awkward kind of dual place that a lot of us are in if we're making things for the radio that are also podcast, where what the documentary needs to cut through when someone's driving in a car or they're kind of doing the washing up. And so there's a sort of clarity issue. And you're always wrestling with a mix about how far, you know, is this coming across as it needs to in a space that's going to be noisy and is it also a rich sonic experience that's giving you a virtual haircut, you know? Um, thank you for that. Oh. Um, th but uh, is there anything that uses kind of binaural or something like that that you have thought is really cool to, that you, you would point people in direction of that are trying to experiment with sound and bodily sound or...? Uh, I'm trying to think, well, there's loads of things, like uh, Janet Cardiff is really interesting, uh, sort of producing sound walks that are going to be affecting you in different ways. There's lots of kind of theatrical pieces that are working with using the kind of binaural space and engaging with that that I think are very interesting. I did a wonderful, um, not to just keep sharing my deep, deep love of the heart, but I did a wonderful uh, art installation that they've made at a festival in Ireland that was a kind of headphones listen where you were going and having a very, very intimate experience that was using that space in a very interesting way. Um, but yeah, is there anything else? Or do we all need a cup of coffee? Oh yeah. Oh, I just wanted to ask, um, 
I really liked the comparison you made with film, and I was wondering if there were other mediums that you draw inspiration from when you're working on this, even if it's not necessarily um, audio. I don't. Well, I think a lot about music and about composing radio um, when I'm doing things because I think, I mean, for me, I find music a very helpful way of opening up emotional worlds and ideas and communicating a space that you're trying to inhabit. So I'll think about musical structure when I'm putting things together quite a lot. Anything else? Yeah. Oh.